talk about the Jesus story, and, and I also thought that this brings me up close and personal. I'm, I'm a lot closer to everybody. But we're going to talk about the Jesus story this morning. We're going to talk about the temptations that he faced. And I don't know about you, but if I think of the biggest problem of a Christian in life, it's temptation. Temptation leads us then into decisions and things that we shouldn't make. But I don't think that there's a way that we will ever get rid of temptations. We'll never get rid of sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. First John tells us that if, if we say that we have no sin or that we don't do sin, that we are held accountable as a liar. We don't know the truth because it does happen. That's why Christ came. That's why he went to the cross was to be able to forgive us of those things. And we go to him in prayer and ask for those things. But how to overcome temptation is the thing I want to learn then. How, how do I overcome that? How do I keep from getting wrapped up in it as much as possible? And there was a story that I was reading one time about a guy who was a private detective. And he was afraid he had a dog that really helped him out a lot. It was kind of a good-sized dog. And it helped him a lot on his cases, but he, it was also his best friend. He was a loner, and that was his only companion. And he was afraid that in the line of work and the kind of characters he went after, that, if, that one of the things that would happen was that dog could be poisoned and taken away from him. So his idea was, I am going to teach this dog to only eat on my command, nothing else. And so he started by taking that piece of meat and putting it down there in front of him and just telling him, don't eat, don't guess what the dog did he ate of it the guy whopped him and I mean he beat the fire out of him he thought it was for his best interest so the next day he did the same thing and he laid the meat down the dog had a little bit of reservation but he couldn't help it and he went ahead and ate again and the guy whopped him again after a while he began to notice a change in the dog now the dog was only eating on his command. And he thought, how strange. He caught on pretty quickly. How did he figure this out? And he started watching the dog. And when he'd bring that food out, he noticed that now the dog didn't look at the meat that was in his hand. But the dog kept looking steadfastly at the master's eyes. And he waited for his talk to tell him to go ahead and do it the dog was able to resist the temptation by not focusing on what the temptation was but by looking into his master's face and that's what we're going to learn about today is the way we resist temptation is by looking into our master's face before we get ready for the word of god let's bow for a prayer and it'll be um, silent for you guys for a moment and then i'll close this out Father, as we prepare to open up and study your holy and divine word, your word that lives and abides forever, we pray, Father, that the things that we're going to talk about this morning will be 
of great interest and great help in our life. Father, we, we want to glorify you in all that we do. And by learning the pattern set before us in this, which is probably one of the most important sections of Scripture for Christian life, for our learning, we pray, Father, that as we study it, that we do get the proper information from it, that you have blessed us with the study of it. And we pray, Father, that as we apply it to our lives and in our walk, that we are better able to glorify you in our life. And we pray this and we're challenged by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Temptation is a common problem for all of us. That dog was a lot quicker than I was on, on catching on. Um, but everybody has weaknesses. In Hebrews 11, it's the great chapter of faith. And as it starts talking, it talks about Noah by faith moved with fear and built the ark. And it talks about Abraham, who by faith obeyed the word of God and left his hometown and went out uh, to where God had told him to go to search for that land. And after we have all of these examples in Hebrews chapter 11 of the great example and pillars of faith for us to look upon, it says in chapter 12, Wherefore, we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So just like the dog learned to look in the master's eyes, we learn to look into the eyes of Jesus. And if you look at that scripture, it tells me a couple of things about us as human beings and as the creation of God. It says, lay aside every weight. Let us, that's all of us. Everybody is weighed down by something. Either physically, mentally, or spiritually. Everybody has weights that affect you. Whenever I was a freshman in high school, I signed up to run cross country and run track. And one of the things that we had to do, this was the last year at the old high school. Eddie will remember that. We spent one year before the new high school was, was built. And we had a cinder track there at the old high school. It wasn't your newfangled ones. This was the old cinder block track. You know what the coach made us do to practice and prepare? He took a tire, tied a rope to it, and then put a, a towel around the rope that went around our waist, and we had to pull that tire around the cinder block track. And as you went, it would fill up with all that stuff and get heavier and heavier. You cannot run the actual race and win with a weight attached to you. He was preparing you through the weights to be able to run the race better when the weight is gone from you. And that was a part of the training. Every one of us have things that weigh us down, that burden our thoughts. And then it says, and also lay aside the sin that so easily doth beset us. Sin is in the singular type spelling, but in the plural, just as Jesus took away the sin of the world 
You may have one or you may have 21 besetting sins. This scripture teaches us that we all have things that are particular to you as an individual that is your weakness. It's a besetting one that's a part of the DNA of who you are and your makeup that causes you to stumble and fall. You may have strength in temptations of this and that, and that wouldn't bother you at all, but boy, you put the other thing there and you can feel yourself getting all shaky and loose. And that's what this is telling us. The way to get rid of the weight, the way to lose the sin and set it aside that easily besets us is to focus our eyes and our being and our faith upon Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, so he has authored how we are supposed to do it. And we can then run this rat race of life with patience. One of the most used tricks of Satan, though, is to try to get your mind off of Jesus Christ and to divert your attention away from that. I think back to the garden. Whenever Eve was walking around the garden, she had the serpent. There's a lot of folks that speculate it was like her pet, like a dog or a cat is for us today, that that thing was following her around and she kind of liked it. I don't know. But I'm just making a conjecture because she carried on a conversation with this animal. And if you'll remember, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was probably not in the forethought of her thinking until he pointed it out. Whenever he said, oh, are you not allowed to eat of any of the trees? She said, yeah, we can, except for one, which is in the middle of the garden, and of that tree, we're not supposed to eat or, and then her misunderstanding of the word of God, or even touch. Okay? God only said in the day that you eat of that tree, thou will surely die. He didn't say anything about touching it. He said in the day that you eat of it. But she added to it a little bit. Not, not terribly wrong in and of itself. On your thought process, that kind of separates you even further from that tree. But it ended up catching her because now the Satan who was within that serpent said, but what about that tree? He said he changed one word. He added one word to the scripture of what had been given. He said, thou shall not surely die. He added one word that changed the whole meaning of the passage. And then it says that she took of that fruit and when she held it, she saw that it was good for food, and that it was good to look at. And in her mind, she had added to the word, thinking in the day that I even touch it, I will die. Oh, I didn't die by touching it, so guess what? I can eat it. But do you see how that Satan can take something that's not even focused in your mind, but then when he brings that to the forefront, it haunts you. It starts becoming the focus of everything about your life and your mind doesn't get off of it. The only way then to resist is to bring it back to this, to focusing your faith and your eyes upon Jesus and the way that he did it. Now in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18, it tells us some things about Jesus. It says that he himself suffered being tempted, that he is able to help those then who are tempted themselves. 
it says that we have a high priest who is, has also faced all of these kind of problems. He has been touched with our types of infirmities. He has been in all ways, in all points, tempted as we are, yet what? Without sin. So he has to be the author and finisher of our faith, the way that we get out of that. Corinthians, we talked about this Wednesday night very briefly, that there is no temptation that has taken a man except it was as common to man. But God is faithful. He will supply the way out of that temptation. If you will look unto him, he will help you to be able to bear under that. So to set the stage, let's turn to chapter 4 of Matthew. We're going to look at the temptation of Christ. And I want us to remember that last week we saw what ended chapter 3. That he was baptized by John in the river Jordan. And the, when he did, the spirit descended upon him like a dove and the heaven opened. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And then... Right after that baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for the sole purpose now to be tempted, to be tested by the devil. And isn't that about right? About the time that you have a spiritual victory in life, whether it's with a baptism or whether it's overcoming a temptation and a sin or doing a, something that you felt was good and glorified God, isn't it about right that immediately after that, Something tries to attack you spiritually and to wear you down. And that's what happens here. Jesus is going to immediately be tempted and tested. First of all, in our pattern, it says that he allowed himself to be led by the Spirit. That is the same formula that we're going to have to follow, we'll see. He illustrates to us that to overcome the greatest of temptations, we need two tools in life. The first tool is the spirit that we get the same as he does and is promised to us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And the second tool is the word of God and learning it and applying it to life. And we will see that as Jesus goes through these temptations. And that's how he resisted the devil and it fleed from him, as Peter will say. This passage also reveals something that you might not even think about, but it also reveals that the devil is real. I mean, folks, our spiritual warfare and our spiritual battle is real. He's going to carry on a conversation with the devil. The devil's going to do some miraculous things himself because he is the power and the prince of this world. And he's going to bear him up to the top of a pinnacle. And he's going to show to him all of the glories of this world in a moment of time. It's a spiritual battle that is real and is taking place all the time with us. Our text says that he is going to be led and tempted and have this actual conversation and it's going to tell us how he prepared himself for the battle that lay ahead. The same way that we have to prepare for the battle. It's to know the word of God in advance. I'll give you an illustration of why that's important. Five and a half years ago, I was sitting at work. I got a phone call from my aunt, and I looked at it, and I thought, she never calls me. So I answered it. My aunt tried to tell me that she went to visit my mom and that she was unconscious. Really, my mom had passed away, but she was afraid to tell me. 
Now, I was overwhelmed with grief, and I was at work, and I was going to have to drive home. If at that time I wasn't ready for something like that with the Word of God, and then I go to try to turn to that, I could go to just flip a passage and open it and say, God, show me your word, and I would look, and it would say in Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 17, that our beams are made of cedar and our rafters of fir. Now I ask you, is that going to help me out? (laughs) Would that scripture help me out in this circumstance? No. Praise God that before that, I had given my first lesson at the congregation that I was at. And a little lady who was 91 years young came up to me afterwards and said, could you prepare something about death like you did on that? I am 91 years old. I have never had anyone explain to me about death and the other side and what happens. And I had put together four lessons on different details about death and handling it and different things. So when I received the phone call, I was equipped and I was prepared, even though grief hit me and overcame me and I wanted to have my mother back. I still had the word of God that comforted me and allowed me to to know what had happened with her And how I am supposed to go forward with handling that. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. He took in the word. When you take it in day by day and week by week. You begin to build what I call an edification complex in your soul. It begins to build a foundation that edifies you and builds you up. And prepares you for these tragedies and for temptations and for trials. And you need to know those things because they will come. And if not, you're going to be tossed to and fro when they do. The wilderness must be a great place to prepare. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness preparing by fasting and prayer. And what that means is you don't go on a diet, but you take the time to feed your soul instead of your body. You say, I'm going to study harder and I am going to pray harder and nourish my soul ahead of my body at this point because that's what I need. We saw that John was prepared in the wilderness before he became the herald of God last week. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness of Midian looking after sheep and goats before God told him to go back to Egypt. You have to have time to prepare. Paul spent three years in preparation before he started his journeys. They needed it, and you and I need it. And that's why Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and also the times in between on your own is so important so that we take that in. We are to desire the sincere milk of the word of God in our life. So now with all of that, If you're at Matthew chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to look into this scripture that is the most important stretch for us on giving us an example of how to overcome. Matthew 4 verse 1. And then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. 
And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The devil then taketh him up to the holy city, setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time that thou would dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The devil again taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto him, All of these things will I give unto thee, if thou wilt just but fall down and worship me. Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Wow, that's real. That actually took place. This is no fairy tale. This is a real encounter that Jesus shared with the writers of the New Testament, their story, as they wrote it later on. He had shared this with them on a way for them to overcome. And you know what? This is so important that we have to know it. This lesson will be a little longer today than most of them because we need to see everything that's in here. The first temptation is going to be an attack upon the Holy Spirit and your relationship with Him. Jesus was what? It said, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Satan immediately begins to attack what he thinks is the source of strength. The spirit that is there. And this gives us also the fact that Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us as humanity. For God cannot be hungry and God cannot be tempted. So this is the humanity side of Jesus being tempted and hungry at the same time. And he's going to get his, his affiliation with the spirit attacked right off. What he said was basically, if... And this, I could go in depth, but I won't on the ifs in the Bible because there's actually four things that goes along with ifs. And this one here is an if and it's true. Just like if someone says to you, if you are a Christian, which you know you are, but they will say, if you're a Christian, why is all of these things happening to you? Why does God allow this? That is the doubt that Satan is trying to cast upon Jesus Christ right now. If thou be the Son of God, and that's for a continuation. If you continue to be the Son of God in your humanity, why are you hungry? You have the ability as the Son of God to take these stones and turn them into bread. So why don't you, if you are who you say you are? How many times have you heard that as well, probably, or been tempted with that? We will never imagine the depth of the temptations of Christ. He was tempted the entire 40 days 
we are only given three that were unique to him because I could I could try all day I could fast for 40 days and say abracadabra and never turn stones to bread this is a unique one to Jesus but the attack upon the spirit working in your life is the same to all of us this is just a unique way of Satan of directing it to him and we'll never know how much that hurt him and how much that tempted him to act outside of the leading of the Holy Spirit and you say why is that because we learned several weeks ago that Jesus is the one who created this world. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And there is nothing that was created that was not created by Him and for Him. So here you have Jesus as a deity as well as a human trying to only operate in this humanity form like us. And you've got the one who is, it says there, the tempter, the accuser, the one who tries always to rebel against God. And you have the one who rebelled in heaven and disrupted that, the one who came to the earth and immediately disrupted that and took away the power of this earth and became the prince of it, the one that has been your adversary as God since the day almost you created him. You cannot stand him for what he has done not only in heaven but to the people and the creation that you love upon this earth and he faces you up straightway and says to you if you're the son of God prove it to me I don't believe it if it was you could not be hungry you would turn these stones to bread can you imagine the self-monitoring that Jesus had to do to not just go, zap! See, there, I'm God, see? You're just a smoldering cinder right now. Do you know how much he had to pull himself in to do that? This was a huge, unique temptation that we can't even imagine as the creator and the adversary, and he is facing you up. I can't tell you how much this hurt him and how much he had to go back on. He tries to get to your emotions. Your emotions can get you out of kilter really quick. I know my emotions have been tested and they get out of kilter really quick and I have to bring myself back in with prayer and the word just what he had done for 40 days in preparing himself for this. Now, it says in verse 3, now comes the one who is always tempting. When it says the tempter, it's in, it's a present active participle. And what that means is, and the reason I tell you that, because it specifically means the one who is always tempting. It doesn't mean he only tempted him for a second and was gone. This is a guy that is always the one out there tempting. And it says he wants us to get outside of the operation of God in our life. The tempter said, if thou be the son of God, speak that these stones might become bread. He knew he was God. We're going to study in a few weeks the man of the Gadarenes in Mark chapter 5. He's the man who had the legion of demons within him at the tombs and you'll remember that he immediately ran down through there and as he bent down 
the demons said, Thou son of God, why have you come to test us already? It's not our time. So they, the demons know he is God and tremble. Satan knew he was. He knew who he was. He put the if there, like we said, to cast some kind of doubt and to work and play on his emotions. If and it's true, turn these stones to bread. Operate on your own essence and outside of the will of God. But if Jesus does, and if he relies upon emotions, and if he relies upon his self and his works and not to be led by the Spirit, then he has failed in his mission. He has now sinned. And he will not be allowed to go to the cross and to be that sacrifice for you and I. So he has to. And it's a command in the imperative mood that Satan says this. I command you then, if you're God, to turn these stones to bread. To do that would have been a choice. We're faced with many choices in life as well in the same way to act outside of God's will and plan for our life and into our own. Jesus was tempted to supply his own daily needs and not to allow on God to do it. Will he rely upon the Father or not? Jesus knows the Old Testament scriptures thoroughly. He knows that Isaiah chapter 53 is written all about him on the cross. Psalm 22, Genesis 3. There is no scripture in the word of God that says the Messiah is going to die of hunger. There's not one. It says that the Messiah is going to die upon the cross for our sins. So he knew that it's not the plan of God for him to die in this wilderness and that God will take care of him. So I have to follow what God wants me to do. And that's where trust begins to come in. Now, for the victory, how he overcame, he said, It is written, how fitting for the Son of God as his first words in ministry now, because he has just been baptized and said, I am adjusting to the plan of God. I have committed my life to that plan. Now I go, and he's immediately led to be tempted. And the first words as the acceptance of that will of God and ministry was, it is written. He said, it is written that thy word... This is not what he quoted. This is what I'm saying. This is what he had for 40 days preparing himself. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There's our second tool. Along with the Holy Spirit is the word of God. He had that in there. So he said, It is written. That's in a perfect tense. And that means it was written in the past with application to the future because the word of God is alive. It's still living and powerful. It was written at a point, but it goes forever. It applies forever as long as mankind is here. And he says, thou shall not live by bread alone. And that's the application. Victory is found in that. He quoted the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book of the wandering in the wilderness of the Israelites. His time in the wilderness he spent because he's going to quote two passages from Deuteronomy to him. He was studying that book about your wilderness journey and temptation. Bread is a mere survival food, but capacity for life and for living comes through the word of God. Give you another illustration. 
the woman who had two pence. She went into the temple, and that's all she had, it says, and she tossed it in to the offering. Jesus saw it. He reveals it to the disciples who are with him. Jesus, I don't see, going up to her and telling her anything about it. Oh, what a good thing you did. Or he didn't go to her and say, I know that was everything you had, so here, the disciples and I want you to have some food. No, he did not want to do anything to destroy the faith that that woman had that God is going to take care of her. She walked in there with the promises of God, and she walked out with those same promises. And I know that my God will take me. Verse that I like, and here's you a promise verse. I try to keep a little bit of a promise notebook, some things to rely upon. Psalm 37, verse 25 says, Psalm 37, 25, David said, I've been young, and now I am old, and I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor any of his seed begging bread. She had that promise in her heart, probably. And she knew that I will not be begging bread, but my God will not forsake me. That's a promise. And I came in with that, and I'm going to leave with that. And Jesus was not going to do anything to not have her to have the blessings of the faith that she just displayed to them. He says, you will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Life is just that. Now, if we give more value to our emotional self-satisfaction than we do to the word of God, then we will probably not experience a lot of victories and we'll probably have a lot of more trials and trouble in our life from the decisions that we make. We need to rely upon the word of God. So the first temptation was to try to detract from the relationship from the spirit and Jesus. Jesus relied upon that spirit and he fought it with the word of God. So now in the second temptation found in verses 5 through 7 of our text in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to find a different way that he attacks them. The second temptation is about our relationship with the Word. Jesus was led by the Spirit. He attacked with the Word. He was on offense. Satan now is going to attack back with the Word of God. He is going to try to reduce its effect and its power upon Christ. It worked with Eve in the garden by changing some things. He says, I'm going to do it again with the Son of God here. So now, he's going to always attack your source of resistance to him. Whatever your source is, be ready for that to be attacked by God or by the devil spiritually to try to get you away from God. Here, he is not going to rightly divide the word, but the devil is going to distort the word a little bit and change it. And he's going to try to get Jesus to now act and have God to perform the miracle instead of himself. He's using a passage that's not appropriate for the position, just like I did with the rafters made of cedar and fir and the beams. wasn't appropriate for the death of my mother. What Satan is going to use here with Jesus is not appropriate for this setting either. He is using it out of context and distorting it. He says, if thou be the son of God, 
cast thyself down. Jump. It's a command again, showing that you are going to live by the word of God. So here's what he does. He quotes to him Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. He says, jump, cast yourself down. But that would violate a divine law of God, which is gravity. If he jumped and cast himself down, he would not make it. Now, the scripture says something different. If you look at Psalm 91, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. But look how Satan tried to quote it to Jesus. He said, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. There is a big difference in the three words he added there. Lest thou dash thy foot against a stone versus lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He added at any time to this, saying I can make application to this scripture any way I want to. I can make it to even say that I can test God. But Jesus is going to tell him that that is not the case. You cannot do that because Psalm 91 was about a man who has made God his fortress and his shield of protection and walking in all of his ways. And when I do that, it says God will form a protection over you and he will protect you lest there is an accident that comes. That's what it means by the Hebrew idiom of, of tripping there. If you are not going to do an accident, it does not cover a premeditated thing to go against the word of God, a divine law like gravity. So he changed the word. But what did Jesus say back to him? Jesus says with the word of God, thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Guess what? You have called me God twice. He says, if thou be the son of God, do this and that. He says, you know what? I created you. And I am God. And the word also says that you're not supposed to tempt me as well, let alone the God of heaven as it applies to you and I as well. So he really was telling him off. This is how we overcome those temptations of life, is by using the word of God. The first temptation was attacking our relationship with the spirit that God gives to us as Christians, to be led by the spirit. The second one was your relationship to the word of God. How well do you know it? How well do you apply it to your life? But Jesus did not fall for that. He wouldn't have any of it. So now we come to the third temptation. It's an attack upon the believer's relationship to the father's plan. Jesus, the devil attacked the word. He attacked the spirit and now he's going to attack the plan jesus used the plan of god you don't tempt him now he's going to attack that plan so verses 8 to 10 the third temptation again the devil now takes him into an exceedingly high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them the plan of the father is for jesus to rule the kingdom 
But the plan of the Father is the cross before the crown. You get the kingdom after the cross. The temptation here is going to be twofold. The temptation is going to be not to go to the cross because we know that that went against what Jesus' emotions wanted to happen. We remember he will pray in the garden and say, I don't, if it's any way possible, I don't want to do this, but not my will but thine. I will drink of the cup if it cannot be taken from me. So he knew that temptation was there. And he's saying, I'm offering you a way to have the kingdom without going to the cross. But if he does, he fails all of us. And that wasn't going to happen. The second temptation is again, as Jesus, as the creator of this world and the one who should rightfully have ownership, Satan now had it. And this was a legitimate offer. We don't see anywhere where Jesus says, you don't have the ability to give me this. If we... He didn't deny that claim. If we look at the slide that comes up now, we can see some of the titles in the New Testament that's given to Satan. It says that he is the prince of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the head of the world rulers of darkness. And he is the God of this age. So this temptation is legitimate. I now control your kingdom. And I can give it to you. You remember that? That's why I say we can't imagine how much these temptations affected him and bothered him that was being given to him. So verse 8 gives us the location. It says that he went to an exceeding high mountain and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world that you have created and what mankind has done with those. And he says you can have these by bypassing the cross and just falling down and worship me. But if Jesus gives in to these immediate emotional desires, he will fail. And we cannot understand how much he wanted and desires to have his kingdom back. But he didn't do it. He says in verse 10, in no uncertain terms, get out of my sight. He says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And him only shalt thou serve. And then it says, the devil leaveth him. Again, this was an order. The devil obeyed that order. And then it says, behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Now, it's not recorded how they ministered unto him, but I have a good guess. I think they brought him bread. That first temptation, don't you? This was the end of the temptation cycle. He was victorious. And when they came and ministered unto him, I'll bet they brought the best tasting bread and food that you've ever seen because they brought it themselves. And now, as the band heads on up, as we get ready to close this out, I want to just reveal to you in <clears throat> Luke chapter 4 as he records this temptation. It says that when the devil had ended the temptations that he left him for a season. You know what that means? He's coming back. You know, he told me to get out of the way now, but I'm not giving up on him. I'm going to come back because he's the one that always tempts, continuously tempts. And that's the way it is in your life, my life. He's always coming back. Just when I think that I've beat him, just when I think that I'm on a good course, he always 
comes back. What do I do? I have to go back to the spirit and to the word and to prayer. Peter will tell us that the word of God contains everything, everything that pertains to life and godliness. So it's not just on our relationship with God, but life as well. It pertains everything in there. It is our owner's manual. We succeed in beating the devil with the two tools that Jesus had. He only had the two as well right there. The word of God and the Holy Spirit within him. That's with us too. And we face decisions daily. Some of them have great repercussions. Some of them don't. But you've probably made some decisions in your life that you thought were right at the time. But ended up haunted you forever. Be careful with the decisions that you make in life. Be careful with the tempter who is always there trying to tempt you and lead you astray. For as the last slide that we have up here says, if you look at the verse 14, there's our our tool besides the word of God. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We need to get into the habit of applying all of these to our life. And when we do, we can see that Jesus has now used the model. He gave us the pattern for overcoming temptation and sin and how to live a life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing this to us. We're we're sorry that Jesus had to go through all of that because of us. But we're also rejoicing that you have given us a formula for winning and we love you father and we thank you for your word and for this example and we thank you for jesus and we thank you for the spirit of comfort that you told us in john that you would give to us jesus said if i go i will leave unto you another comforter which is the holy spirit and so may each and every one of us father be led by your spirit and by your word. And may we be challenged by what we have just saw today from your holy and divine word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.